This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert, joined once again, the reunion tour, ladies and gentlemen, by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is from Austin, Texas, yours and mine, my co-host, Mr. Adam Brown. Jay, is that, is that really you? It's been a long time, and it it's a busy season. Friends. I'm traveling. You're traveling. Everybody's traveling. We've done a lot of a lot of shows one on one, and we're back, baby, back. And it reunited, and it feels so good. Uh, peaches, you and are herb, peaches. We, uh, I am herb. I love it. Yeah, we're now going to have to pay uh, an ASCAP or BMI fee for that. <laughs> we'll have to sound link there. that up in the show notes. Uh, peaches yeah. and herb reference for all our younger listeners. I could not be more fired up about this episode because we are singing from the Jay Bear script. As you know, Adam, as some of our listeners know, uh, it is topical and timely. I am a tequila guy through and through, started at the University of Arizona, uh, down there by the the Mexican border. Uh, Now in Indiana, my tequila supply is not quite as uh, effervescent, but I discovered uh, through a mutual friend a brand new tequila brand uh, called Ghost Tequila, which is notable and fantastic. Fantastic for this reason, Mr. Adam Brown. Can you imagine a world in which your tequila is infused with the delicious spiciness of ghost peppers? Can you envision it. that? You know, I, of course, and as everybody knows, or many know, I'm in Austin, Texas, the, the mecca of Tex-Mex food. So being a little bit closer to the border, I even just as to do some research, uh, family went out for, uh, for Mexican food last night. And, uh, while I didn't have any ghost tequila, I, I, I do feel like I am getting closer to your level of expertise Show on the subject. Yep. Yeah. I love it. I I'm going to write off. Prep, we are now right off uh, last night's dinner. So that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that was the only exactly. reason. Exactly. I'm going to do a podcast. There I'm going to put that on our taxes. Well, we are joined on the show today uh, by two very experienced, very intelligent, very fun guests who uh, are are driving the creation of the Ghost Tequila brand and spreading it all across this great land of ours here in the United States. Uh, Richard Pomez is the CMO and co-founder of Ghost Tequila. He's also joined today by Nick Hasselberg, who is the marketing manager. Gents, thanks so much for being on Social Pros. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be here, guys. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. We are delighted. This is going to be fascinating because many times on the show, we talk to social media managers, marketing managers, CMOs of, of large brands that have been in market for years and in some cases, decades. And, and now we have the exact opposite story, which is how do you take a brand, you create it out of thin air and introduce it in the market, mostly using social media in a regulated industry. Adam and I are fascinated to have you on the show. Richard, could you give us a little bit of background on the genesis of Ghost Tequila, how you came up with the concept and and sort of where it stands today. 
Sure, sure. So uh, one of my business partners, there's three of us, his name is Chris Moran. Uh, he was a bartender in Boston, uh, a professional bartender who is well known in the city. He worked at a tequila bar that had a hundred something tequilas on the back shelf and consumers weren't going into that bar and ordering tequila. They were ordering, you know, vodka cranberries and shots of Jaeger and blah, blah, blah. And he got frustrated because he wanted people to drink all the great tequilas he had. Uh, and so he started playing around and mixing different things to try and get the, the Joe Schmo, the everyday man to, uh, want to drink tequila. And so through lots of experimentation and trying different things, he came up with this, this recipe that people far and wide throughout the city of Boston loved. And people were coming in just to try this thing that he made. And it was a spicy and a little bit sweet uh, shot of tequila, but he was also putting it in cocktails and, and things like that. Uh, and that was the genesis. The, the formula of the recipe is, is different than what that original was, but it has... Uh, you know, that, that's where the roots were at a tequila bar in Boston. So he teamed up with, uh, another business partner of ours, David Gordon, and, uh, David owns a chain of retail stores in the Northeast. And, uh, then they found me, uh, and we all kind of got together as a team and said, let's do this. Let's put together the, the perfect team. And then Nick was the first hire we made. Uh, and he was, you know, the perfect addition to the team. Um, but you know, the, the original concept really started out as this sweet and spicy tequila shot slash cocktail that evolved into something that we think can take the world by storm if we're right. <laughs> well, I think it, I think it can <laughs> I think it can take the world by storm because as somebody who has had the pleasure of of drinking ghost tequila, uh, the guy sent me uh, some samples. Thank you very much. It is really well done because it's spicy but not overtly so. And it actually kind of gets you after the swallow a little bit and it's sort of a, a, a faint but noticeable it's just a really nice level of of spice it's it's really well executed and is so great in in cocktails any sort of mix right with mm. with orange juice or pineapple juice or or nick was saying uh, pineapple coconut water i think is what he was working on so they're just it's just a very versatile it is it is much more versatile than if somebody just said hey imagine tequila with ghost peppers in it you'd be like oh that seems like a very specific time when i would drink that but it's actually really terrific for margaritas all those kind of things. So uh, I think it has yeah. tremendous potential. As somebody who has drank a lot of tequila in my day, uh, I really, really like it. One of the, the sales pitches uh, that we like to give when we're out selling is, you know, if you go to the, the college and the dive bars, you know, places on 6th Street, they're very often shooting it straight or with beer or making Mexican candy shots, you know, by adding some watermelon flavor in there. But then when you go to the Mexican restaurants, it's spicy margaritas. You go to the brunch places, it's bloody Maria's. You go to cocktail, high-end cocktail places, they might be doing a Negroni, a Mexican mule, things like that. So it, it is very versatile. You can It's very utilitarian in that regardless of what kind of bar or restaurant you own or manage, you can do something with it at every level. And I was going to ask you about that. It, as well, let me let me ask two questions. First, just to frame it up for for listeners of Social Pros, it it's not nationally available yet. You're moving it sort of market to, to market, east to west, more or less. Yeah, uh, and, and so not everybody will be able to get it today, correct? Well, so we we are rolling it out state by state. It is a very slow process. We're in six states currently: uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Louisiana, Texas, and California. With you know, don't don't hold me to this, but with Colorado and um, 
Illinois coming within the next six months to a year. Um, and but you can order product online if you go to ghosttequila.com you can order anywhere in the country and they'll ship it to you so technically you, you can get it anywhere right now <laughs> yeah yeah do that ladies and gentlemen go to ghosttequila.com get yourself a bottle you will enjoy it you mentioned this rollout process and and the 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 spirit being versatile for a bunch of different types of bars, uh, sports bar, brunch place, cocktail bar. So is as you roll out a new beverage like this, is your customer the drinker or the bartender? I think it's both. I, when we, I mean, I was going to mention this, but when it comes to the proposition for, for ghost, we think of our customer, there's a, there's a B2B customer and then there's a B2C customer. So with the account, the true proposition of the brand beyond just its taste is that you're not, you don't have to sacrifice those man hours anymore or the time to muddle peppers to achieve some level of spiciness within your cocktail. It's just a, it's a tool in your toolkit as a bartender. And just with, just with some of this product, you've already, you've achieved a level of spiciness that we know is consistent and smooth for the consumer. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's you know one out of eight margaritas that are served on premise now is spicy so there's already a market for it and there really isn't a tequila that has claimed sort of the top spot or even just general awareness as being uh designed for spicy margaritas and so that's the different that's the proposition we're looking for with consumers and and to add I hadn't to thought that, about that, would... that consistent spiciness, that's really fascinating. This idea that if you're going to typically muddle your own uh, jalapenos or some other chili in a in a in a tequila concoction, you're not going to have necessarily consistent spiciness because the bartender may add more or less. Peppers are by definition variable in their spiciness, even within type. And so this idea that hey, if you get one made with ghost tequila, it's going to be you know what you're going to get as a as a as a consumer and also as a bartender making them. And that other point you made, Nick, about hey, you can make it faster. So as a bartender, you're not having to do this whole other step of muddling. It's already spicy, so you can turn your drinks faster as well. Exactly. Um, I wanted to add something specifically about the bartender aspect you brought up, um, you know, and this doesn't just apply to us. This applies to any liquor brand, but bartenders are the gatekeepers and they often decide which liquor brands live or die because a bar manager can order anything. But if the bartender doesn't like the product or doesn't know how to sell it or doesn't recommend it, you're going to die on the shelf. Uh, and so for us, you know, Nick is absolutely right. It's it's uh, consumer and bartender, um, and there's a different strategy for each one, right? Uh, when it's specifically when you're specifically talking about, especially on premise, which are bars and restaurants, it's really important to very early on win those bartenders over, and you know, not just from a sales standpoint, but from just a old school like becoming their friends strategy. Uh, if if you don't get them early on, you're dead in the water. Let's talk about the social media side of this for our audience, Nick. It's fascinating to me the premise of launching a brand in social media, and social media is a big propellant of the popularity of Ghost Tequila and, and other similar spirits, and I want you to talk about that. But you start from zero. You start from, hey, let's create an account, which is, you know, has happened in the past, but we're far enough along here in the evolution of social that most people and most listeners, you know, haven't started from zero friends and followers for quite some time. So in the modern age, in, in 2016, 2017, how do you do that? How do you say, well, we, we have no fans, no account, we have nothing but a logo. Uh, what's been your approach? 
That's a great question. And I know Richard will want to expand upon this from, from my perspective, you know, it's, you're talking about your story and your beginnings when you first create that account and leveraging your own personal networks in order to just shore up a, a small base and contingency to help really propel the brand with you. Um, so you hopefully you've hopefully you have enough friends and family to serve as evangelists for your brand, where um, that's kind of your base. And so as we've expanded, um, you know, beyond just talking about, hey, here's our new production line, and hey, this is our very first placement in an account, and oh my God, we're filing on a menu. Those are big wins for us, and and they help to really generate the sense of inclusiveness with our audience. Um, but then. You know, as Richard talked about with the strategy, we we don't just talk to bartenders because they're the they are the gatekeepers. We actually we were created by a bartender, so we have an allegiance and alignment with them. So now, in talking with them, in meeting with them, you know, their their content for us as well, their stories, their their drinks, um, you know, anything else that's in the bar that's worthy of showing that that starts to that starts to become part of our content as well. And then you have the consumers that love those bars, and because we're in, we're affiliated with them, now we start to reach even more consumers. So that's kind of that's that's the way we started from zero to get to some level of an audience within social. And I'll let Richard fill in some of the blanks that I missed. Yeah, in the uh, you know the first couple weeks, maybe the first couple months, actually, all of our followers were friends of the owners of the company. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I believe that when you're an entrepreneur, when you start a business or a product or what have you, your first brand ambassadors are your friends and family. They are the ones who are going to be excited for you and say, congratulations, and how can I help? Um, you know, I'm, I'm from New Orleans, and Chris and David are both from Boston. So, you know, when you look at the Facebook uh analytics on the back end and it shows you know how facebook shows you where all your followers are in which cities i mean it is almost uh i mean it is the majority of those people are massachusetts and louisiana um which which makes a lot of sense because in the first couple of days you just hit invite on all your friends and share it to them so in those early days it's just like hey friends and family can you help me out and then expand from there, allow those people to be advocates for you, give them the tools that they need to invite their friends and their friends and so on and so on. It's just, it's simple sharing, you know? One of the things that's very popular now in content marketing and social media is the use of quote unquote influencers because it's harder to achieve organic awareness and, and free reach Certainly in the introduction of a new liquor brand, having influencers and advocates and people in in bars sort of talking up the beverage is a tried and true success equation. I know that's something that you're doing with Ghost Tequila. I think you call them tour guides, if I recall correctly. Can you talk a little bit about that program and, and how you find those people and then what is their responsibility or or challenge in terms of using social media to document their presence in a, in a particular location etc uh yeah i guess i guess i'll start um you know this is something that uh we had we had borrowed from richard's prior experience um working with um working with fireball and we've 
kind of, you know, this is kind of the 2.0 version of that. Um, I'll talk about finding these people. Uh, our, our tour guides are not people that we're finding via social. Um, we are identifying these people on premise. When Richard or our partners, Chris and David are out, or I'm out, or anyone else in our company, uh, these are people that we're scouting on the ground. And uh, as we identify these different people, part of the screening criteria is they're following on social, but they also, there's such an in-person element to it. Um, it's actually quite hard to find the perfect tour guide for us. But once we do, um, it's, there's a lot of investment in making sure that they are, uh, they have everything that they need. And, uh, when it comes to their focus on a night out, they're, they're crystal clear. Um, and so those are our influencers on the ground. Um, and, and certainly with social, they help provide followers and they provide content to us as well. Um, but I think the point for us is we cared so much more. We care so much more about that in-person element. Um, and then when it comes to social, uh, we're, you know, this is something that we, we're, we're at, we, Richard and I actually find ourselves training them on. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning, Nick, you, you use the, the term tour guide. Um, a tour guide is what we call uh, one of our brand ambassadors or all of our brand ambassadors because it's a play on ghost tour. Um, but also, you know, our whole brand ambassador system, the tour guide system is all about leading people through the city. We don't like to be stationary and hang out at one bar and do a typical quote unquote promo. Our whole thing is taking the city by storm and and moving through it almost like we're we're taking the people with us as we go to our favorite accounts so anyway i just wanted to mention to people listening that's why we call uh our brand ambassadors tour guides so if we use that term and, and do people sign up for those it, it, does a does a consumer say i want to go on a ghost tour with the ghost to the tour guide and that's going to be sort of a, a a crawl around different facilities or or does that just sort of happen organically pied piper style and end up conga lining people around the city <laughs> we Treated as a we we treated as almost a live update. So all of our tour guides are whenever we go, whenever they go out on a on a tour, um, we are promoting it instantly across all different platforms. So um, there's different elements of our brand, but one for sure is this appreciation of the present. And hey, look, it's seven o'clock. You don't have plans. Drop everything because drop everything and come find us because we'll be out all night pouring shots, drinking, having a good time. Come join the fun, and that's just one of the sort of the the, the parts of our brand proposition. I'd say. Is there a role for paid social in the in the current strategy? Launching the brand, are you doing paid Instagram, paid Facebook, paid Twitter? That kind of approach at this point. Yes, I mean uh, through our. Through our through our tour guides, this is usually organic um, because this the type of content that they're producing is it's it's really more of content that we're using for our current followers. So if you've already had an experience with the brand, you know what it tastes, you know how it tastes. Sorry. Um, then as you're passing down the funnel, you're you're you know you're onboarded with Ghost. You know who we are, and we're using these tour guide updates uh, as a way of saying come back out and have us again for new content, which, you know, we're using for recruitment of new consumers. Um, there's certainly a lot more of a financial investment behind that. Um, you know, when it comes to some of the, the videos that we've been producing, uh, one of them is called some in the spirit where we do, uh, 
a bar, a bartender, and their ghost-inspired cocktail. Um, so this is something that we heavily invest in, and we invest it within our target markets um, because we feel that this is content that's not only engaging, but it's very educational as well. And that is something that we feel can help recruit new consumers that don't know us at all. Um, so that I think that's just an example of how we look at what we should invest in and what should, we should leave to be organic. And, and Nick, I think that's something that's interesting to me because as, uh, as, 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 as you and Richard shared with Jay earlier, it's so rare for us to have on this show or for any kind of marketing case study a situation where you literally are starting from zero, no followers, no brand awareness. And as Jay said, you start with a, with a logo and a, and a tweet. I'm curious if you what you found around different types of content that seem to be resonating with your audience. You mentioned the, uh, the, the highly produced video content. Obviously, we, we know that works, but we know there's a cost associated with that. Endorsements from from celebrities, reviews from tequila nuts like Jay, endorsements from 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 liquor experts, or as you said, the relationship strong relationship you have with bartenders. What is that recipe for success that you are finding seems to work better in social media? Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, like tequila aficionados and and people like that, liquor professionals. Uh, we've been. I don't know if I want to say lucky, but we've been great at capturing a lot of what, you know, what I like to call old school press. And that's driven a lot of people to our social media. So maybe this isn't answering your question because this isn't necessarily uh, social media content, but we had an article in Bloomberg. Uh, we've had articles in several liquor focused publications. Um, you know, I've been on a few other podcasts. And so a lot of that stuff is driving people to our social media. And then we are keeping them on our social media with the content. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's old school press, right? And we've been great to uh, be able to benefit from that. But Nick, if you want to kind of answer the other side of that question about the social media specifically. Sure. Um, so Adam, like I talked about when we first started, um, <laughs> it's such a light company. Everyone kind of does everything and focusing a lot on our story and just kind of the content that was available to us uh, because, okay, we've got, you know, we've got, uh, we're bar hopping now, or we've gotten a placement or, uh, all of that content is coming from the ground. Um, and so, you know, this is, it, it was growing very slowly. Um, and as we've come up with more variety, we've, you know, we've seen that uh, our followership and our engagement has increased as well. And where, I guess what I'll say is the, the perfect recipe uh, has been the variety of our content and making sure that we don't overdo it. Um, we, I think in the beginning, we were focusing a lot on we're at this bar uh, or come find us. And what we really weren't paying a lot of attention to was just a basic introduction of who we were. So we would be saying, come find us, here we are, you can make this. But there's a lot of consumers that just simply didn't know, okay, what do you stand for? Uh, what do you taste like? What's your point of view as a brand? Um, and just providing some of those different elements to provide a more fulsome picture. So I'd say that the more everyone's always so busy, but the, as we mature and the more we're able to focus on those different elements that really provide an education for consumers, we're finding that those are 
quickly, quickly devoured, and they're helping to expand our audience and audience and provide deeper engagement. Um, something that I will say is, as you talked about influencers, Jay, something that we are focusing on very uh, in the very near future is moving more towards uh, a system where you know, like our brand ambassadors are the ones that help provide our provide us content. I said earlier, those aren't people that necessarily had a huge social media following to begin with. Um, they have their own audiences, but not that huge amount of impact like when people talk about influencers today. Um, so what we're moving towards now is more of identifying people from different walks of life that can have a relationship with our brand and not endorsing it in a way of giving a product review, but actually working as content generators for us. So an an idea would be, you know, we know of a, we have no, we know of a chef here in Boston who recently made this amazing cocktail with ghost. He's at the, um, the art science, uh, cafe, and it was in a blood bag. It's for Halloween. It was unbelievable, uh, cocktail and just, just looking at it, it was amazing. But, uh, you know, having a conversation with him so that every week or every month we can have a, a new ghost inspired cocktail in a crazy format. Um, you know, and that's just one piece of the brand that can come from him. And so I think we're looking to shift away from updating people on how many bars we're in or the ghost tour, including that, but also shifting to different perspectives of the brand from people who are in- influential within their own spheres. Uh, on a very broad level, uh, to try to put it all in a, like, uh, you know, with a neat bow on it, to me, there's two types of content that we do. And it's the planned and the production value, uh, the influencer stuff, which is strategized and planned ahead of time. And then there's the gorilla, hey, we're at this bar, right? The, the stuff, and the, often the stuff that's coming in from our tour guides, that's pictures of bartenders holding, holding the bottle. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Nick's right. Moving forward, it's, it, it, to some extent, it's going to be like 75, 25% where the 75 is the planned content as we're getting bigger and we're still hanging on and maintaining some of that uh, day-to-day guerrilla marketing, hey, we're in this bar, but it's going to take less of a focus as we become more ubiquitous. Because in the early days, you need to be saying, hey, we're here, come find us, because that's where we're gaining these, um, you know, the, this grassroots following in these markets. But as we get bigger and we're, we're everywhere, you need less of that and you need more brand awareness and introducing the product to people just, you know, like Nick said. But I, I think Richard, just to add on to that, this is something Richard and I were discussing yesterday. Uh, and I think it would, I think that this kind of insight or would cut across any, anyone in CPG that has a business of our size. We are lucky in that we can be extremely high touch um, not only with social community management, but we can be high touch in our relationships with people on the ground. And Really, it's something that as we continue to grow, um, it's going to act as a beacon for us moving forward that we have enough feet on the street and we have enough support on social that we, yeah, we can move more towards polished, finished, planned content, but we don't lose that element of ourselves that that has such an avid appreciation for not only our community, but also the bartenders that allow our brand to to succeed and, and potentially thrive. Yep. 
Richard and Nick, what is it about tequila right now that is is so hot? Uh, I, I really think, you know, and having kind of research spirits marketing, I love spirits marketing because it really is about the branding. It's about the storytelling. And it, obviously, it's about a great quality product. But tequila seems to be kind of the hot liquor right now. You've got uh, George Clooney that sold his, uh, was it Casamigos tequila to uh, Diego, one of the large kind of liquor conglomerates to for something north of $1 billion. We don't talk got, about him, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I, I can assume that. You've got, and you've got other you know, very big brands like Patron that are owned by, by Paul Mitchell or founded by Paul Mitchell, uh, you know, who made, basically made his billions in, in, the, uh, in the hair, uh, in the hairstyling product industry. Tequila seems to be really hot right now. How do you, as Ghost Tequila, with this new fantastic product, Upstart product, now available in all these states, and as you said, online, virtually anywhere in the world, how do you leverage kind of the momentum that tequila is having right now to really showcase and propel your brand? You, you got a, a thought, Nick? I can yeah, go ahead if you I want. Think, yeah, I think <laughs> – sure. I think that we're – I think that what's happening in tequila is that, you know, it's – there's it's finally hit the threshold now where enough people have tried it enough people have tried quality tequila so now you know there was the if you would have asked someone five to ten years ago get name me two tequilas you would have gotten two answers there's cuervo and there's patron that's it you either have the you know nostalgia tequila that is some goldish color that i had in mexico or you have patron which is you know, the most luxurious tequila that I have ever possibly thought that I could consume with its own handcrafted bottle and its ribbon. What a beautiful package. Two completely different sides of the spectrum. And just like in all of these different liquor categories and, you know, they start, we start peppering in, in the, uh, in between the spectrum. Um, and so people are trying Blancos now consistently. Uh, they're developing a repertoire and a, you know, a, a different consideration set or a more expansive consideration set and they're becoming more educated there's more knowledge mm-hmm. and i think that we're i think that we're right we're hitting that right now in stride where there's just a real appreciation for it because people are finding all these different things they didn't know about tequila um and it's becoming a lot more than just the cuerva patron category um and you can also see this in the way that uh we look at google trends you can see this in the way that people are searching for tequila cocktails too or tequila cocktails now so it's no longer searches for margaritas it's now there's searches for bloody marias and palomas that are made with grapefruit and soda um and you know mexican mules which is a moscow mule but with tequila and so as people are becoming more educated they're learning about different applications for it and what reinforces that even more is that bartenders are really loving using this product as well because it's getting so much better and there's so many new players that are offering quality brands and it's not just quality brands at high price points but quality brands at lower price points like ours i mean ghost is a in in, in of itself it's a 100% agave tequila which you know it's I'm not a mathematician, but it's the best that you can get when it comes to when it comes to the amount of agave that you have. Um, and we're at we're at a pretty good price point. I mean, you could find us in a store depending on where you are, anywhere from twenty six to thirty dollars. Where, you know, if you're looking to buy a Patron, you know, historically you're going to be paying north of forty dollars for the same bottle. So I think the category is growing now because good tequila is accessible at a lower price point. At least that's one of the reasons. 
Yeah, and the liquor industry likes to go through trends almost the same way the fashion industry does. You know, in the 90s, there was the flavored vodka movement. We we just recently in the last, you know, like 15 years went through this crazy craft beer movement uh, in the last you know, five to 10 years, we had a lot of flavored whiskeys, you know, around the whole fireball thing. And uh, so tequila is the next big thing. A lot of people are also saying rum is about to go through a resurgence, but we are, Ghost is at the, you know, at the cusp of this big tequila movement that's happening for all the reasons that Nick mentioned. Um, Another cool thing about Ghost is that we've given it to a lot of people who say they don't like tequila. And they've enjoyed it. And what we hear a lot is, oh, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And uh, that phrase doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, but those people go back for number two and number three. Uh, You know, everybody has a terrible tequila story with college and spring break. And I had one, too. I'm from New Orleans. My terrible tequila story was during Mardi Gras. And it's because, like Nick said, back in the day, we only knew about Cuervo and Patron. And so we were having this low-quality tequila because we weren't educated and we didn't know the difference between good and bad. And now all that information is out there. We're better educated. And it's it's kind of like, hey, I know you had a bad uh, tequila experience in college, but come back. Come back. We've got something that you can drink because it's not going to give you that nasty tequila burn that a low-quality tequila has well yeah and thankfully yeah, i think get... oh go ahead jay sorry i was just going to say adam that uh for people who want to get that bigger brand side of the story we've had adrian parker who's the head of marketing for patron on the social pros podcast uh in the past and so go to socialpros.com and find the archives of that episode and you can kind of get their take on on a similar uh, similar story Oh, sorry. I hope I'm not saying anything negative. I mean, the, what they've oh, done no, with no, that company no, is... not at all. Okay, good. What no, they've done is And, and, is and Adrian's brilliant. They've done yeah. some amazing stuff. So last time he was on the show, I think he's been on twice. Last time he was on the show, we talked about their new uh, virtual reality goggles thing that they created. So you can actually put on the goggles uh, and, and sort of take a virtual <laughs> tour of the plantation, That's which, awesome. is, which is pretty That's amazing. great. Yeah, it's cool stuff. But, uh, yeah, we I, I read about what he had said about uh, his new strategy about, I think he called them the the nose or the bros and the nose bros and the nose yeah bros yeah, and nose and i really yeah. i really like that not to pay him too much homage but you know i thought that was interesting <laughs> i understand we, we and Adrian's the way we look guy. at he was he was really good uh, you know i will go toe to toe with him in a podcast whenever you guys want to schedule that i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> the, uh, but we uh, uh, the way it's interesting though because with you know the way that he's segmenting his audience psychographically in, in that way um, we're not large enough yet to do that. So really, we just know who our target consumer is, and we know that helps us. That helps us refine our voice and our and our content. Um, but it, it, we think that beyond just having a tequila that offers something meaningfully different from a taste perspective, we're also trying to appeal to a totally different underserved consumer than tequila has traditionally catered to. So I guess to take it into his words, if we uh, have the bros and the nos, um, how about, you know, how about someone that's just sort of uh, just somewhere in the middle? You know, we're looking for someone who kind of rejects traditional branding. So it's really not someone who's going to buy into aspirational branding um, and they're just a little bit more keen to it. And this is something that Richard and I talk about all the time. It's almost like marketing to marketing 3.0 marketing 1.0 is let's tell you 
un, these unrealistic things that this brand can do for you. Like Budweiser is going to say you're going to be able to hit on any girl when you go to the club, and that's 1.0. So we're obviously away from that. 2.0 is uh, experiential marketing and trying to uh, trying to crack that and talking about all these unbelievable brand benefits that are just so detailed that you don't know what they are, but they sound good. So it's non GMO. It's, uh, it's totally organic. And that, I mean, we've seen brands try to do that in the alcohol space as well, which is just really funny because we never would have thought that there'd be such a level of detail with that. And I think 3.0, when Richard and I talk about it, it's really more of let's get beyond Let's let's get beyond being so holy about the product. Let's get beyond being holy about the experience. Let's just enjoy right now and let's see how we can create an immersive moment together, uh, kind of like a movement together. And I think that's the way we think about our consumer and the types of marketing and experiences that would appeal to them. Yeah, in, instead of the way we like to think about it, especially when we're talking to the tour guides, is less about planning a promo, less about experiential marketing. It's it's basically just like go into a bar, see what's going on, and take advantage of whatever occasion is happening. And this translates well to social media too. But you know, find the people at the bar. What are they celebrating? It's somebody's birthday. It's just Friday. Somebody just got married. Somebody just got divorced. Find those people. What are they celebrating? And take advantage of that occasion. Uh, and like Nick said, it's very much what's happening right now, as opposed to trying to plan some kind of big, uh, you know, experiential thing that we need to draw people to. I think the goal is like being almost kind of mimicking Red Bull's street team, but in a way that makes sense for tequila. I mean, really, we want to be, we, you know, we want to have ground control and have all of these different sort of units in every market that if we hear about something that we can be there in a moment's notice to help facilitate that experience. I like that uh, reference to uh, to Red Bull because I think Red Bull really adhered to kind of a marketing premise that that all of us are probably familiar with. This idea you've got to build a category before you build a brand. They had to kind of say, here's what an energy drink is really all about to so many of their consumers before they could actually establish Red Bull. And in your space with tequila, I recognize this. Like Jay, been traveling a lot internationally over the past uh, three weeks. And on both my trip, uh, round trip on Virgin Australia to Sydney uh, three weeks ago and last week on British Airways to London, I realized that both of those, these are you know big wide body planes, had no tequila on board. Yep. And it made me realize that, you know, sitting here in Austin, Texas, how regional perhaps the tequila industry is, although I know it's the fastest growing spirit in the United States. So my question, uh, Richard and Nick, for you before we, we go back to Jay for some uh, important commercials is, not only have you had to kind of establish that you're creating a new brand from scratch, but for many of your consumers, they don't even kind of understand what tequila is all about. How do you do that, build the tequila category before you then start to come in and really establish what ghost tequila is all about? Mm, uh, yeah. I, Richard, Go ahead, Nick. Take, okay. Uh, well, I, I guess tequila's biggest markets are – its biggest market is the U.S. It derives a huge proportion of its volume from the U.S., and then there's also some from Mexico. I'm not quite sure. But outside of those two countries, it's – it's unbelievably minimal. And the reason for that is a lot to do with the romanticism sort of, of, of Mexico. I used to, I used to work with AB and Bev and we would talk about 
Corona and all all the other Mexican imports, and you would look at volume and awareness and brand equity and all these different types of measures of marketing and sales, and you would see that the further away you are from Mexico, um, and the less aspirational it is to you as a vacation spot, as a more relaxed way of being, the less likely you are to care about Mexican imports and the less like you, likely you are to care about tequila as well. So I don't imagine in the next five to 10 years, we're going to be putting forth a lot of effort and trying to educate anyone outside of these two countries. Um, well, actually, I would include Canada in it a little bit. But I don't think that we're going to be putting forth a massive effort to educate them. Um, but I will say, you know, it, all of our focus has to be within the markets that are near to us. But I will say that when someone comes over uh, from one of these other countries and they try it, uh, we usually always do our best to uh, give them a bottle and then make sure they're <laughs> they're taking it back to wherever they're from. So in our small way, we're trying to send tequila, ghost tequila all over the world. I think yeah, that probably um, enough enough margin for you to to just grow in your you know in your backyard is is you have so much room to move that that you don't want to get spread too thin geographically right mm -hmm. yeah um and then we kind of had an have an added challenge of also uh educating people on ghost pepper and spicy tequila so there's uh, yeah. there's an extra level added there which makes things you know a little bit more fun a little bit more complicated Nick, when when you're creating content in social, are you thinking that that's primarily an Instagram-driven phenomenon, or or Twitter, or Snapchat? Given some of the demographics, what are you thinking is the is the key driver of engagement? Uh, traditionally, it's been Facebook. It's just a you have access to a lot more. Um, you have access to a greater audience. The backend insights and reporting are just so much stronger to help shape uh, where we invest and how we're doing. Um, I think that as we, you know, as we become more funded, we have greater capabilities as we continue to mature. Um, I think that we will be seeing a lot more action, uh, and return on our investment by moving to Instagram. Um, you know, to be able to have capabilities, to have, uh, to have high-end, high-end, high-quality production, uh, both in terms of a product focus, so new cocktails, new locations, but also experiences. Uh, Instagram just it's 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 just a lot. Uh, it's just more conducive uh, for for us to showcase those different elements of our brand, and certainly with stories, that helps us handle that impromptu. Uh, come out right now, ghost tour. That's uh, a big part of our brand as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense. So more Facebook now, but moving towards Instagram. I think that is a very inspired choice. Also this week, the show is brought to you by our friends uh, at Convince and Convert. We have a brand, well, actually this one's from Salesforce as well. I forgot that Salesforce created this one also. A really great ebook called More Than Marketing, Exploring the Five Roles of the New Marketer. A breakdown of all the essential marketing skills that, that we all need to possess to continue to have a job going forward. There's interviews in there, stories, interactive features, etc. It's really fantastic. Uh, go to cnc.ly slash new marketer. That's cnc dot ly slash new marketer to get that free ebook more than marketing exploring the five rules of the new marketer and as always go to socialpros.com for links to the ghost tequila website for links to uh the webinar links to the ebook etc adam back to you 
Jay, thank you so much. And Richard Pomez, CMO and co-founder of Ghost Tequila and Nick Hasselberg, marketing manager of Ghost Tequila. So great to have you on Social Pros. I think uh, Jay and I are especially enjoying not just the topic, but again, this whole idea of you creating uh, and nurturing a, a brand new brand like uh, like Ghost Tequila. And that kind of leads me to my, to my next question, kind of around measurement. Now, most of you had, had noted that you know a big portion of your uh, of your marketing activities are in and around social, so that makes attribution a little bit easier. You can kind of correlate what you're doing in social media to uh, successes you have with ad- additional trials, additional case sales, etc. But I'm curious if you kind of go one click deeper. How are you kind of looking at performance uh, and and looking specifically at what you're doing on Facebook, perhaps versus other platforms? Uh, you mentioned you know preferring uh, Facebook right now, uh, in many cases, because of the analytics, because of the data they're giving you. Nick, I'll start with you. How do you approach kind of measurement and ROI for uh, for your social programs? That's a great question. Um, when you're first starting out, it's really tough to do so. You, you try and receive benchmarks from other brands or just try to get a sense. I've even tried to build a model myself <laughs> starting at starting at case sales and trying to find what would be my uh, my highest absolute cost per click or and trying to guesstimate a, a, a conversion a percentage an ideal conversion percentage and all of those are just completely theoretical um, the truth is that you you go without you go without really studying it for a little bit just to kind of test and see what see what works and sticks uh, around at the eight month mark or maybe earlier we did a, a giant audit on ourselves and we just we analyzed every different type of post that we had made even though we when we were making those posts we didn't really have a strategy necessarily. We had, we had a guiding light, but we certainly weren't codifying or categorizing what we were posting. So we went through that exercise. We took a look at how those different content types, uh, they performed against one another. Uh, we looked at the frequency of them. We looked at engagement and uh, what we were spending behind and what we weren't. And we, you know, we went from, we went from there. Um, and it was through that audit that we had realized that we needed a heck of a lot more variety and we needed to focus more on educational material as well as more of brand proposition, brand story stuff. Um, As we move forward, it's a lot easier to see what's successful and what's not because we've had roughly 10 to 15 campaigns. And so we know what a good engagement engagement rate is. Um, And that's really how we look. That's, that's our, to date, it's been our best, um, analog to conversion is looking at engagement percentage. Um, and also we do, you know, we've been doing some campaigns now that are, now that we're finally able to uh, allow consumers to buy uh, ghosts and have it shipped to them. That helps a lot with looking at campaign effectiveness, getting some sense of attribution. Um, and we also, I didn't think we mentioned this, but we work with a company called Drizzly. Uh, it's a great company that offers on-demand delivery for alcohol. Uh, they're in a ton of markets, but we work with them quite a bit. So, um, you know, as of late, we've been able to, uh, we've been able to look at conversion, uh, you know, from our marketing and then ending up, uh, a consumer ending up ordering through Drizzly, but we've been able to look at, uh, conversion through that as well. Richard, I know this isn't your first, and, and Nick, you too, but Richard, I'll, I'll go to you. This isn't your first spirits game. You mentioned uh, earlier on the show 
uh, Fireball and and working on the marketing and and launch of that very successful product. As I sit here recording this in my office, I'm looking over at my liquor cabinet and see a bottle of, of Fireball over there. So I can probably attribute that to you. Curious kind of how your experience at Fireball and also your experience in the acting space has kind of set you up to uh, to what you're doing today with, with Ghost Tequila. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Then the I'll I'll start talking about the acting thing. Um, I believe that in any industry, no matter what you do with your life, having some kind of arts experience is a good foundation for anything. Theater teaches you so much when it comes to how to talk to people, standing in front of an audience, even how to sell something. It, it, all the people that I know who I went to theater school with, even if they didn't stay in theater, they've gone on to do things where they are communicating with people on a regular basis as opposed to, you know, a, an office job. So I think that, you know, theater really set me up for the advertising industry. Uh, a buddy of mine in New Orleans started a theater company right out of college, and we were doing a bunch of shows that actually still exist today now about 11 years later. And we were doing, you know, we were producing and acting in our own shows. When I kind of fell into the marketing world, I started doing, you know, some guerrilla marketing for music festivals. This is all in New Orleans, uh, nightclubs, bars, that kind of thing. And that is what led me to getting the job with Fireball. Uh, you know, the early days of Fireball, I started with them late 2009. And that was, I, I will say this, you know, it's very, it's wonderful to be attributed, um, you know, to have a lot of the success of Fireball attributed uh, to me and the team that I work with. And that's fantastic. But, you know, I will say that it was a lot easier to do social media for a brand then. You know, this was before you had to pay for content. This was before a lot of brands were on social media. I mean, I think we created the Fireball Facebook page you know, not too long after there were Facebook pages, you know what I mean? Because before there were Facebook pages, you only had, you had events and you had groups and, you know, and Twitter wasn't super prevalent yet. Um, you know, it was being used in the tech communities, but even in New Orleans where I was based, uh, Twitter wasn't that big. So did we do some great work? Yes. I'm not trying to undercut the great work that we did, but social media was a lot easier then, <laughs> especially, I mean, just at a very base level, you didn't have to pay for it. You could post and everybody following your pages saw it. And that made things a lot easier. Uh, I, you know, I think we, we still did some really cool stuff with content. Um, you know, it, it's similar to ghost in that we were doing a lot of, um, you know, hey, we're at this bar kind of thing that was really effective. We did a lot of bar hopping where, you know, we would go to, to a new market and I would say, hey, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be on 6th Street in Austin tonight. Come meet up. We're going to bar hop. And the first couple of times I did that, we'd have two, four, six people come meet up. And then, you know, a couple months in, we'd have 15, 20. And that is something that I'm still, we, we haven't gotten there with ghosts, but that's something that, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to treat it like, I don't want to copy Fireball. I don't want to be a one trick pony. Uh, so we're trying to innovate on that idea and do some different things. But, you know, I am thinking about that as kind of a measurement of success. Like how many people can we get to meet us out based on social media? You know, social media is where that interaction takes place. And a lot of brands, 
in my experience, just post social media content for the sake of social media. And I know we talked about this earlier, but like social media really should be the first point of interaction. And then it's like, come physically join us in the real world, get on your computer, learn about us, but then put it down and and come out with us. And that's something that we did a lot with fireball. And I learned a lot through doing that. And, you know, um, and that's something I want to continue. I, I don't know if I answered your question. I think I did in a long roundabout way. <laughs> that was great. Okay. Thank you. And, and Nick, your background is fascinating as well. As you mentioned, you were at AB InBev. Uh, but even more interesting is, to me at least, is that you used to play football. You played you know, semi-professional football in Italy. Uh, and, and you went to Harvard and were an investment banker. Oh yeah, and now are doing marketing <laughs> for tequila. So, tip, yeah, tip, I don't know. I, I know. Harvard. Uh, my, my daughter, my daughter's going to a lot of fraternity parties at Harvard now. I can tell you that. But other than that, I don't know a lot about it. But but I do know that most people who are investment bankers don't end up doing marketing for tequila brands. I know that to be true. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Well, I you know I tequila oddly enough kind of saved saved me um i i out of uh, out of out of college yeah i mean i uh you know started out in investment banking like 90 percent of my peers um the prospect of making some money immediately out of college was irresistible um and especially coming from a team background i you know i thought who cares who who cares if i like it or hate it i can outwork any of these people so <laughs> i should be fine um and then after about a year i i just i realized this was not going to work for me um i'd always loved marketing um so then i ended up uh at an agency in um it was actually under the cantar umbrella and um biggest client was AB and Bev. So that's really where I got to learn about marketing beer. And it was fascinating. I mean, out of all CPG, it has to be one of the most emotional categories um, because it just, people just, you know, they gravitate towards any kind of product that can make them feel good or help them relax. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, because I, I had met somebody, somebody special, my wife, uh, she, she moved to Boston, so I wanted to come after her. And luckily I ran into, uh, Richard and Chris and David who were forming this amazing little company that was going to sell, uh, the next great tequila for spicy margaritas. And I thought, Hey, I can help out here. I've got a lot of experience. So that's really where we are. Um, it's I, I was working at the largest bulge bracket firm that you could possibly work at to about the smallest company <laughs> that you could work at. So it's been quite a ride so far. <laughs> no kidding. Well, the nice thing is that, that when you guys get big and you need to get uh, bought out by some giant company, you've got an investment banker on staff. So that'll save you some fees someday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, strangely, it's all going to come together. Strangely enough, I still work in Excel quite a bit, so I am thankful for my year on Wall Street uh, because I don't know how Very anything nice. would get done in this company without my uh, my Excel my Excel skills. Um, I, right, I, I'll, I gotta I'll be in say, touch for, for Boston advice. I gotta say, Nick keeps this company together. Uh, without him, I don't know how we would get anything done. Uh, I, you know, I, I know what I'm good at. I know that I'm good at talking to people and being in bars and being the face of the brand. But nothing would happen without Nick, especially when it comes to analytics and budgets and manufacturing and things like that. So, Nick's awesome. I love Nick. 
Oh, I love you too, Richard. Thanks. Uh, man, look at this. We're bringing this is we're bringing people together, Adam. This is this is like more of a Doctor Phil kind of thing. It's a love connection. You yeah, guys are like the it. human e-harmony yes. together. It's amazing. We are. That's it. I'm going to ask uh, ask you guys the two questions we've asked all 287 previous guests on this show. Uh, I'm going to do it this way. Uh, I'm going to ask Nick the first question, and then we'll finish with Richard. Nick, if if you could give somebody one tip, somebody who is looking to become a social pro, what would that tip be? Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so start with a career in investment banking. Don't... I would say make sure whoever you're working with that you have a very clear understanding of what your brand is and don't say things or create campaigns or speak in a certain way to because you think that your consumer is going to like to hear it. Um, often, people talk about authenticity all the time now. What that means from a consumer perspective is, is this brand being real to who they are and they can sniff BS from a mile away? I would just be true to whatever your brand is. Be true to that proposition from the very beginning. And I think that's a great way to start out. Yeah, I love that one. Consistency as well. I've written a lot uh, about how I don't like what Wendy's has done on Twitter with that sort of snarky, smarmy approach. It gets them a lot of traction on Twitter, but that's the only place that they are like that. And so to me, it rings false because they're they're snarky on Twitter, but not snarky anywhere else, including in the restaurants. So to me, it's an inauthentic brand position, even though it works from a pure engagement rate perspective. Right. And there's there's a difference between your impressions and then your quality impressions. So yeah. I have a number of people that are hearing you, but is that really going to, as you say, Jay, convince and convert? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're not selling ads, right? I mean, you know, you can't you can't eat engagement. You can't pay your rent with retweets. I've tried to do that. It doesn't. Work. <laughs> so ultimately, ultimately, you've got to drive behavior in your case. Uh, drink and bottle and case sales. And, and it, it's not a, it, you know, engagement doesn't necessarily correlate or cause uh, sales. Uh, you hope that it does, but it's not a given. So I think your point is really well taken. Richard, I'm going to close the show out with a question to you and gents. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Really uh, am excited about where you're headed with Ghost Tequila. Thank you for uh, sending me some. Keep it up. We'll get Adam some as well. And uh, I'm doing my job. I've I've made a number of converts already, and I will continue to do so. Richard, if you could do a Skype video call with any living person, who would it be and why? Oh, man. <clears throat> oh, if I could do a Skype call with any living person, that's tough. And it can't be a fictional character. <laughs> no, not <laughs> that's, that's tough. Um, you know, I, I feel like the answer should be something in the business world, but I almost feel like I kind of want to go into um, the arts world uh, because I learned so much about, you know, how to be... Um, how how to survive in this world based on my arts background. Um, yeah. And I, I want to say, oh, I think he passed away recently. Well, I was going to say Goldie McJohn, who was the guy who founded Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to figure out who the artistic director is now. So it would be whoever the artistic director is now. I think it's... Um, 
Martha Late? No, I don't know. The point is, is whoever the artistic director of Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago is right now, what Steppenwolf did was they figured out how to uh, sell theater to the masses. And we kind of talked about this earlier, about how, to, how you have to educate people on, uh, on a new category. And even if they don't, before they even get the product in their hands, you have to educate them about new category, right? And so often the way I think about how to sell a liquor brand to the non-initiated is don't worry about selling the product, sell the community, sell the energy of the brand, sell the culture, sell the uh, the occasion, like I kind of mentioned earlier about figure out what the occasion is in the bar. And what Steppenwolf in Chicago really figured out how to do was not sell theater like theater. They figured out how to sell theater like an event and a community and an experience because a lot of people, the non-theater goer, hear theater and they're like, I don't want to go see a play. I don't want to go see Shakespeare. But they figured out how to <clears throat> mainstream theater. And there's something to learn there. Uh, and that's something that we did with my theater company in New Orleans, the NOLA Project, was don't sell theater like theater. And that's something I feel like that organization, the artistic director of that company, the managing director of that company, although the founder isn't still alive, even the current managing staff, they know how to take product X and sell it to the non-initiated person behind that, uh, you know, who, who doesn't yet know about the thing that they would like if they knew more about it, if that makes sense. Uh, and I feel like yeah, those people... Like all, said, nobody wanted an iPad because they had no idea what an iPad was until they saw right, it. Right, right. And although I know, uh, you know, I've learned a lot over the years, especially with Fireball, about how to do that, I feel like there's so much more that I can learn and I want to learn. Uh, and that's the Skype call I want to have. <laughs> Sorry, I know that was a little uh, rambling, but that I had to great. kind of process. That was fantastic. I love it. <laughs> Okay, cool. I appreciate Good. it very much. It was, it was very insightful. And we will make sure that we link that up at the show notes, socialpros.com. Uh, you'll find a link to the Steppenwolf Theater and their current managing team. We'll try and make that happen. We'll, we'll get you on a call, Richard. That's going to be I our, think our that, goal. You know, and, and for you guys, I think that, um, you know, if you ever want to, I know it's not a traditional business, but if you ever think about having uh, a podcast where you interview uh, somebody in the arts community who has become a very successful business, because as we know, arts businesses are usually, often don't make a lot of money. But if you want to, if you ever want to interview somebody in the arts community, I would very much suggest reaching out to Steppenwolf. I think they'd be, have a lot of insights, uh, you know, to, to give you about that world. Thank you. That's a, a terrific recommendation. We will pursue that. We're always looking for interesting guests here on the Social Pros Podcast. Like the two of you, Richard, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Love where you're headed. Ladies and gentlemen, ghosttequila.com, socialpros.com for the show notes on this episode, links to the things we talked about here, as well as our fantastic sponsors. On behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and this, my friends, has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.